Let us pray. Loving Father, we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth, every truth that is recorded in the written word of God, all scriptures which you have graciously given to us for our learning and for which we praise and thank you. Give us hearts that hunger for your word, ears that are quick to hear, and a heart of understanding, so that we may grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Illumine our minds with all that you would have us learn, and guide us into all truth. Through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, verses 10 to 14, found on page 683 of the Pew Bibles. Isaiah 66, verses 10 through 14. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious bosom. For thus says the Lord, I will extend prosperity to her like a river, and the wealth of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your body shall flourish like the grass, and it shall be known that the hand of the Lord is with his servants, and his indignation is against his enemies." The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So from Isaiah's comparison of the love and care of God to a loving mother, we move to the 10th chapter of Luke and Jesus' sending out of the 70. We'll be reading from verses 1 through 11 and then 16 through 20. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares your peace, your peace will rest upon that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. 
Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That line has been the focus of many a sermon about volunteering in the church, including a few that I have preached myself. You know how that sermon goes. Jesus says there's a lot of work to do out in the fields, but he just doesn't seem to have that many people doing his work and his harvesting. And without a doubt, that message lives in this text as Jesus sends his disciples out into the world to be his hands and his feet as the body of Christ. That, however, is not the sermon I feel called to preach this morning. And it's not that we do not need volunteers. We do. We really do. (laughs) As we look ahead to the fall, we're working hard to line up Sunday school teachers and youth advisors and mission workers and ushers and lay readers. But sometimes I worry that when we read these memorable words of Jesus, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, We jump too quickly over the first half of that compound sentence to get to the second half. In the rush to get to the call for laborers, we fail to hear the affirmation that the harvest in the kingdom of God is plentiful. It is a message that we cannot afford to miss. So much of what we hear and experience in our lives is based on perceptions of scarcity, We have so much to do, but there are only so many hours in the day. We have so many bills, but we have only so much money. The language of politics, the language of economics, the language of ethics and morality, they all speak regularly of limits. Limits on our bank accounts. Limits on the energy that we have to expend. Limits on time. Limits on what we think we can take on and what we can accomplish. Stephen Covey, author of the bestseller, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, suggests that this kind of language is rooted in what he calls the scarcity mentality. The scarcity mentality views life as only having so much, as if there were only one pie out there, and it boils life down to a scramble to grab whatever we can and to hold on to it, because if someone else grabs it, 
we lose. The Quaker theologian Parker Palmer tells a story about a time when he boarded a flight from O'Hare to Denver. And just as the plane began to roll down the runway, the pilot suddenly cut the power back down and he rolled to a stop right there on the runway and everybody's heart sank because they knew that this could not be good news. Pilot came on the intercom and said he had bad news and he had really bad news. The bad news was that there were storms all over the Midwest. Everything had been immediately grounded so they would be staying put there on the ground in Chicago for quite a while. And the really bad news, he continued, was that since this was supposed to be a quick flight, there was very little food on board. And a huge collective groan filled the cabin. Some people slumped over, dejected in their seats. Others just got angry. One of the flight attendants felt what was happening in the in the cabin there, and she figured she better do something. She grabbed the cabin microphone, and she said, we are really sorry, folks. We didn't plan on this. We can't do anything about it. But we know that for some of you, this is a big deal. You were looking forward to a good lunch when you got to Denver, and now we're stuck on the tarmac here in Chicago. Some of you may have a medical condition and might be worried about your blood sugar level. Others of you may not care that much at all, and you're feeling content just to read your book and grab some snacks out of your bag. But I have an idea, she said. I'm going to pass around some bread baskets. And if everyone will just put something in the basket, a snack you've brought along, maybe some peanut butter crackers or a Snickers bar, some lifesavers, some chewing gum, even some Tums if you have them. If you don't have anything to eat, maybe you'd like to share a pen or a business card or a picture or a bookmark. And when the basket has gone around, she continued, we'll send it right back out again and everyone just take what you need. I'll start the basket up here. While it's going around, I'll make some coffee. And the feeling in the cabin immediately changed. The complaining stopped. People started looking for things that they could contribute. They rummaged through carry-ons to find all kinds of things. One person from Wisconsin had some salami and cheese. Another person had a few bottles of wine. Oh, Bob liked that one. (laughs) People started talking with each other and laughing together as they miraculously moved from a mentality of scarcity to an appreciation of plenty and a celebration of abundance. When Parker Palmer got off the plane, he was getting off, he made a point to go and find that stewardess and to tell her that story about Jesus that I told the children a little while ago that When in the scarcity of the moment, Jesus took five loaves and two fish and he fed a multitude with them. She just looked back at him and smiled and she said, of course I know that story. That's why I did it. As followers of Christ, we too often forget that God's harvest is always plentiful. The world has somehow convinced us otherwise. We have become convinced that we live in conditions of scarcity, wondering if we will have enough for ourselves, even as we reside in relative safety in the most prosperous nation on earth. 
Somehow we have to find a way to trust in the abundance of God again. We have to commit ourselves to believe in the plenty because when we do, we can accomplish amazing things in Christ's name. A good example is what happened in Newark, New Jersey in the late 60s and early 70s. In the summer of 1967, there were six days of riots that virtually destroyed the portion of town that's right around the Newark Abbey, a small community of Benedictine monks who had run a preparatory school for boys for nearly a century. Over that hundred years, the neighborhood had changed drastically. By the 1960s, the area was predominantly African-American. Few, if any, in that neighborhood had any contact with the abbey or its school. And meanwhile, that neighborhood was suffering in the same ways that many urban areas were suffering. The people of the neighborhood had been feeling ignored, disenfranchised, and generally kicked around for a long time. As the civil rights movement intensified nationally, as the summer heat baked their streets, the pent-up rage in that neighborhood finally exploded. Rioting, looting, and destruction left 26 people dead, hundreds more injured, and remaining white families fled the neighborhood. Buildings literally lay in smoking ruins, as did the optimism of many community leaders, even those in the church. And in 1972, the Abbey finally decided to close the school. But the doors would not remain closed for long. That same year, Friar Edwin Leahy began to urge his Benedictine brothers to see things differently. He refused to look upon the neighborhood as a lost cause. I didn't think it was right to participate in the racism, Leahy says. To allow people outside to think that somehow the school closed because of African Americans. Most of the problems in this country, in urban America, especially in the schools, he said, have nothing to do with intellect. A lot of it has to do with emotional noise that these kids suffer. So in 1973, just a year later, Leahy and his Benedictine brothers reopened the doors of St. Benedict's to the people who were their closest neighbors. And still today, with Leahy serving as headmaster, almost all of St. Benedict's kids come from marginal neighborhoods around the school in Newark, where poverty is still entrenched and violence is still commonplace. Many of the students have one, if not both, parents in jail, but they regularly receive counseling and encouragement from the monks and the staff. The students are taught to overcome obstacles. They are told that they matter, that they are precious in God's sight. They are empowered to succeed, and that is exactly what they are doing. Kids who had been written off by the world are now coming back to life, surviving and thriving to the glory of God. For a while, even the church looked upon Newark as a dried-up mission field, a place where nothing could grow, a place where nothing good could happen. But Leahy and his Benedictine brothers saw a fertile field plentiful vineyard with great potential that just needed to be cultivated in the right ways. 
they believed in the plenty and the harvest they are reaping is plentiful. This is what we believe and this is how we live when we as Christians are at our best. The great Presbyterian preacher Peter Marshall held fast to this message even in the depths of the Great Depression, preaching his way across the state of Georgia in 1931. He reminded people who were struggling under the weight of need, who knew very well about scarcity, and he was teaching them and reminding them that God never leaves his people orphaned. Marshall's most popular sermon that year in 1931 was called Singing in the Rain. Of all the promises in the Bible, Marshall said in that sermon, I think this is the least believed. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the things of God and the righteousness of God and all those things that are needed for life, food, clothing, money, shelter, security, all those things will be provided to you. We hear it, Marshall said, but we just don't believe it. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to believe in the plenty We can never give in to living like God is not providing what we need. Instead, we have to assume that God is providing for us and will provide for us and accept the abundance that God is and will, is providing and will provide, even when it's not easy to see it coming or to believe that it will materialize. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus says. He wants us to believe that, and he sends us out into the world to be agents of that plenty, to be willing and happy laborers in his bountiful harvest. The Challenge Gift campaign we are currently experiencing right now is a wonderful example of the power of this kind of faith and this kind of believing. The anonymous donor behind this challenge hopes that we will realize that there is an abundance of blessing here. If we will just open our eyes and accept it, we have the potential to do even greater things in Christ's name if we can just see the possibilities. Instead of thinking about giving to God and giving to the church from a place of scarcity or even suspicion, this donor wants us to open ourselves up to God's abundance in faith and in trust. And as Peter Marshall once said so eloquently in circumstances much more dire than the ones we are in today, we have heard the promise that if we will only seek first the kingdom of God, then we will be safe in God's abundance. We hear it, but we just do not seem to believe it. And still today, Jesus is saying, the harvest is plentiful. I just need people to believe that. So let's believe it. Let's count on it. Let's act upon it. May God give us the courage and the faith to believe in the plenty.